Good evening. It's good to see everybody that's out. Um, very pleased to have the opportunity to be able to visit with you a little bit tonight about some things that I think are very important. Uh, really appreciate the attendance tonight. Really appreciate the song service. All of the of the service so far has just been excellent. Uh, the last song that we just sung is kind of my lesson, so uh, I'm just going to say amen and sit down and probably be better and more time efficient. But um, but I do want to spend some some time talking with you this morning or this evening about the concept of Christ is our advocate. Before we get into that, I will just tell you a little bit about me, so maybe you'll understand kind of why I'm so passionate about this topic. I think many people, and most people here may know this, but I'm a lawyer. Uh, so you can all kick me out now because the lawyers always cause the problem in the Bible, but that's okay. I'm going to try and be a reformed one. But I've been a lawyer for probably 20, uh, 25 years, 26 years now. And the concept of, of, of Christ being our advocate, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, is something that is interesting to me because I am a lawyer and I kind of understand some of the things that go into being an advocate. And so I want to talk a little bit tonight with you about how Christ is an advocate like no other. And I hope it's an uplifting study for you. I hope it's something that causes us to be thankful that we have a Savior who stands before us. Now, a, a disclaimer before we begin tonight. I don't mean tonight. I know some folks talk about the day of judgment being like a courtroom and that we're going to be, you know, we're all going to file into a courtroom and God's going to be standing at the judgment seat and there's going to be a prosecutor and a defender. I have no idea if that's what the judgment, seat, judgment day is going to be like. I, I can't tell you the particulars of the judgment, but I do know that Christ is our advocate and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight as we go through our study. So in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite set of verses in the Bible. And the reason it's one of the favorite verses that I, that I have for myself in the Bible is because it's a verse or a set of verses of hope. He starts out by saying, I write that you sin not, but if you sin, there's good news. And that good news is, is that we have an advocate. And I want to talk to you this evening about that advocate Jesus Christ. Now, last night we talked about Greek words, and so I'm going to continue my attempt to butcher the Greek language by giving you more Greek tonight. And so what does the Bible mean by advocate? Well, the Greek word that's used there that is translated advocate is paraclete or parakletos. And what that word means is an intercessor, a counselor, an advocate, a comforter. That's what the word means. And it is a word that can probably be most closely anal anal uh, analogized to a lawyer. And so whenever he talks about Jesus Christ being our advocate, he's talking about something that is similar to what a lawyer does and what a lawyer does for his client. We have a lawyer, a counselor, an advocate with Christ if we find ourselves in a state of sin before God. And so it is that good news that I think we want to focus on tonight. Now, the first question I think we should ask and anybody should ask before you go see a lawyer is, do you need one? I mean, right? Nobody goes to a lawyer unless, I mean, nobody wants to even talk to a lawyer unless they really need one. And so the first question everybody should ask themselves is, do I need an advocate? 
well, you know, we hire lawyers in this life because we find ourselves typically in some legal trouble or some issue, and that's why we go to them. Or otherwise, if we don't have a legal trouble or issue, we just are spending money for no good reason. And why, on behalf of all lawyers, I will say thank you if you want to do that. The truth of the matter is that's a really bad idea. You should only retain a lawyer if you need one. And so before we go about talking about whether we need Christ as an advocate, we ought to ask ourselves whether we need an advocate. And the answer to that is everybody, every living person in this world needs him. The reason is because whether you have legal troubles or not tonight, Christ isn't here to help you with those, but you do have spiritual issues. In Romans chapter 3 and in verse number 23, a set of verses that we read all the time, the Bible there just simply says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That doesn't leave anybody out, folks, nobody. There's not one of us that hasn't transgressed God's law. There's not one of us that hasn't done something that is a transgression of the holy, pure commandment of God. We all have done it. And the reason that means we need a lawyer is because that sin that we commit carries with it a penalty. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 26, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't know if any of you have had legal troubles before. Maybe you have. Maybe you've had legal troubles with a transaction or a contract. Maybe you've had legal troubles with some business partner. Maybe you've had legal troubles on some other area. I'm guessing, I don't know anything about some of you, but I'm just guessing, I know a lot about a lot of you. I'm guessing that there's nobody here who's had legal troubles that were life and death legal troubles, where you were literally on trial for your life. Folks, we have a spiritual problem. And that spiritual problem is one that carries a penalty of death. We talked about that last night. We talked about the terror of the Lord and what the reality of hell means to us. And tonight, we're going to talk about the really good news about how we take care of that problem. But rest assured, we need an advocate tonight. There's no question about whether or not we need somebody before the Father. We do. Now, Whenever you get into a legal d debate or whenever you get into a legal problem, and when people hire, used to hire me, I don't do this anymore because I'm a different kind of lawyer today, but I used to be a trial lawyer. And when I was a trial lawyer, people would hire me. You know what one of the first things I'd do? I wanted to know who was on the other side. I wanted to know if they were any good or not. I usually knew the person on the other side, and I knew what kind of things they would try to do and what their strategy might be and if they were smarter than me. And the answer was generally yes, but at least then I knew it, Right? And so I needed to know who the other side is. We need to know that too. And here, the opposition is Satan. And there's some things that the Bible says about that. The word Satan itself is the Greek word satanus, and it means accuser. I know most of you have heard that before, but that's what Satan means. When we talk about the devil and we talk about Satan, we think about somebody who's evil, yes. We think about somebody who's full of, 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 of terrible things, that's true. But the essence of what Satan does, the really evil thing that Satan does, is he carves up and digs up every bad thing in your life and he wants to accuse you of it. He goes and he collects every wrong word, every wrong deed, and he brings it all up with the Father and he says, don't save him, he's not worth saving. You said that the wages of sin is death and this is one sinful person and you should not save him. That's what Satan does. Over in Revelations chapter 12 and in verse number 10, 
Revelation chapter 12 and in verse number 10, the Bible there says this. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan's an accuser. In Zechariah chapter 3 and in verse number 1, Zechariah chapter 3 and in verse number 1, the Bible there says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a a brand plucked out of the fire? So Satan stands before God accusing us. And I don't know if you really understand that that is happening, but it is. And the reason we know that is because we have a picture of kind of this relationship in Job chapter 1 and in verse uh, number uh, 6 through 11 when we get to the beginning of the book of Job and you begin to understand why Job is going through some of the things. Here's the reason. In Job chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hand and his substance is increased in the land, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan was accusing him. God says, have you considered Job and how great he is? Satan's not content. He's going to play the part of the prosecutor here. And he says, oh, no, no. Job's not not as good as you think he is. He's only that way because you protected him. Now, if you'd stop protecting him, he'll curse you. He'll, He'll be bad. God, just let me at him. And then the rest of the book of Job is the story of that. And we won't get into that tonight. But the fact remains that Satan is an accuser. So it's not just that you've committed sin. That's bad enough. The problem is, is that Satan is there collecting and documenting and noting and listing everything that you've done. And remember last night we talked about every secret work, everything coming into judgment? That's because Satan's bringing it up. Now, the good news is there's a way to avoid that. We're going to talk about that tonight. But folks, without Christ, we're undefended against that. And that is a terrible, terrible place to be. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some verses that talk about Jesus, our advocate, just generally before we begin talking about specifics tonight. Over in the 35th Psalm and in the first verse, the 35th Psalm and in the first verse, the Bible there says this, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me, fight against them that fight against me. Here, the writer says, plead my cause, which is, again, the concept of being an advocate. Over in Luke chapter 23 and in verse number 34, Luke chapter 23 and in verse number 34, the Bible there says this. It says, then said Jesus, this is Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now, that's our Lord and Savior talking to people who were crucifying him. And even then, Jesus was acting as a counselor and as an advocate for the people who were crucifying him. Even as he was dying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is an advocate for us. Over in Romans chapter 8 and in verse number 34, Romans chapter 8 and in verse number 34, the Bible there, Paul writing says, 
what is, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Jesus, our advocate, is there sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. In Hebrews chapter seven, we'll just read one more verse on this point for time's sake. Hebrews chapter seven and verse number 22. Hebrews chapter seven and verse number 22. I love this set of verses because of what it says in the middle. In verse 22 says, by it so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, but they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, listen, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was sent, which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. I love that phrase. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he lives to plead your case. He wants to plead your case. You just gotta retain him as your advocate. And the choice is up to you tonight about whether you're going to do that or not. Now, some things about lawyers that you need to know and that you would want to consider if you were going to go hire a lawyer or you were going to go hire a counselor. You know, one of the first things I guess you'd want to know is, is the lawyer any good? Is he, going to, is he going to plead my best case? Because, you know, if you have a lawyer that mails it in and doesn't really do the best job he can do, well, that's a problem. I don't care what kind of legal problem you got. And so the first thing I think we need to ask about Christ as our advocate is whether or not he will plead our best case. I think that's important because you want to know that he'll do the best possible thing for you. Well, we have that assurance with Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, Romans chapter 8 and in verse number 1, the Bible says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That's kind of a you know, an all-sweeping statement. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And I'll let you in on a secret. If there's no condemnation, then Satan's not going to be able to touch you if, if you're in Christ and there's no condemnation. And so here it says that if we will retain God and we will retain Christ, and if we will let him plead our case, there is no condemnation for those that walk with him. In Isaiah chapter 43 and in verse number 25, Isaiah chapter 43 and in verse number 25, listen, it says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Let me tell you why that verse is so important. That verse is so important because of what we talked about last night. When he says, I'll bring every secret work into judgment, one of the great things about a relationship with God is that we avoid that. God doesn't remember those sins. When we stand before the Father, Thankfully, it's not going to be, Brent, I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember this, and we're going to go on for a long time because I've got a lot. I don't know about you, but I've got, a, I've got a long list. And instead of that, what he's going to do, he's going to look and he's going to see the blood of Christ, thanks to God. And there's not going to be any condemnation. Our sins will be blotted out. Isaiah 55 and verse number 7. Isaiah 55 and in verse number seven, the Bible there says this, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will, listen, abundantly pardon. I love that. 
He's not just going to pardon you. He's not just going to have mercy. The Bible says he will abundantly pardon. I don't know about you, but I don't need a little bit of pardon or a touch of pardon or a teaspoon of pardon. I would like the abundant pardon. And he is willing to offer that to all of you, all of us tonight, because our God is one that will abundantly pardon. In other words, what God says for those who retain Jesus as their advocate is, look, they sinned, but I'm not remembering it. They sinned, but they're forgiven. They have sinned, but they are mine. And so on the day of judgment, we don't have that terror that we talked about last night. We have assurance, we have confidence, we have an everlasting hope in Christ Jesus. So whenever we think about whether Christ is a worthy advocate, he, we can rest assured that he will plead our best case. The other thing you want to know about is whether a lawyer is qualified or not. I think that's important. You know, you might want to ask whether the lawyer has a law degree. I don't know if we're being taped tonight, but I won't use any names. I had a lawyer who worked for me, a lawyer, and I found out later that this lawyer had lied about whether they had actually passed the bar exam, and they were not a lawyer. That was a bad day. They were not qualified to be a lawyer. And so they were no longer a lawyer, even in quotation marks after that, because, you know, that you, you got to have a law degree. You know, if you came to me and you said, Brent, I would like for you to represent me in this very important patent litigation because I've got some great invention. You know what I would tell you? I would love to represent you, but I would commit malpractice because I know next to nothing about intellectual property. I can barely pronounce it, as you can hear. And so I can't represent you there. If you came to me and said, Brent, I've got a family law problem, I don't do that. Brent, I've got a criminal law problem. I do white-collar crime, but I don't do other stuff. And so there's only certain things that I'm really qualified to do. And so whenever you can't just go pick a lawyer out of the phone book, free legal advice. If you have a problem, don't just go to a lawyer and, and throw a dart and go with whatever you hit because there are different kinds of lawyers. Like there's different kinds of doctors. There are knee doctors and there's heart doctors and there's all kinds of different doctors. There's all kinds of different lawyers. So we need to ask ourselves whether Christ is qualified. And so you want to know things like, you know, we just talked about all that law degree, law license. Do they have any experience with that type of case? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. Here the writer says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want to know if Jesus is qualified? He is. You want to know why he's qualified? Because he came to this earth and he was both divine and human. And so folks, Whenever you have a sin problem and whenever I have a sin problem and we wonder whether Jesus is qualified or knows enough about that sin problem to be able to be our advocate, he does. He does. You know what Christ is able to do on the day of judgment? Pick a sin. Christ is able to say, Father, I understand. I get it. I was tempted too. I understand what that's like. And let me tell you why you need to forgive him. And folks, that is the best qualification that we can have for an advocate. Not only does Jesus understand what sin we've been through, he empathizes because he was touched with our infirmities. He gets what it's like to be human. He was perfect, 
but he understands what it's like to be human. And so Christ is eminently qualified when we think about him as a counselor. You know, one of the things that always is important is whether or not a lawyer knows the judge. You know, that's always good if you can get a lawyer who does that. Somebody who knows the judge. You know, whenever I was at the law firm, oh, we went to thing after thing after thing, reception after reception after reception for all the judges. Why? We wanted to get to know them. Whenever I walked into a courtroom, I didn't want that to be the first time the judge had ever seen me. I wanted the judge to hopefully have something good to say about me or something, some good feeling about me. Or, or maybe if I was really fortunate, somebody I went to law school with who was now the judge or even somebody who used to work with me, I've had that happen before, who was now the judge. Let me tell you something, if you know the judge, that's a tremendous advantage. And if you can find a lawyer who knows the judge, you ought to take that into consideration if you're gonna hire a lawyer. You know, one of the things about Christ is, is that he knows the judge that we're gonna face. In Matthew chapter three and in verse number 16, Matthew chapter three and in verse number 16, the Bible says this, or Jesus actually says this, or, 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 G, or the Bible says this, I'm sorry. Jesus went straightway, uh, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you find a lawyer and you ask him, do you know the judge? And the lawyer says, yes, he's my father. You can retain him, but you know what's gonna happen? He's gonna get disqualified. He's not gonna be able to represent you. Why? Because that's unfair. It's unfair to go in there with the lawyer whose dad is the judge. Why? Because there's a special relationship there. That's not fair. And let me tell you something, what you get with Christ is the opportunity to legally and without remorse, hire the son of the judge. The one who looked down from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when he stands at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us, and he's pleading our best case, and he can empathize with our situation, and he's telling him, Father, I know what it's like, but you need to forgive him. Do you think it's going to be important that he is the son of God? I do, I do. That's why we disqualify family people from being lawyers and the judge at the same time because it's just not fair. What do you think? Can you imagine being Satan? Let's just presume for a minute that this was like a trial. I don't know if that's what it's gonna be about. Let's just engage in the idea that what's gonna happen on the day of judgment is we're gonna be something like a courtroom. And so here comes Satan. He's got, I mean, if it's me, he's got stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of, of all of my sins recorded. He's probably got vans outside holding all the rest of them. And so he comes in and he's loaded for bear and he's ready. And in comes me and I'm walked in there in chains and I'm ready. And then on in comes Christ. What do you think Satan's reaction is? Well, that's not fair. I have no chance. This is the son of the judge. It's not fair. But we get the opportunity to retain the son of God if we will have him as our advocate. Over in John chapter 10 and in verse number 14. John chapter 10 and in verse number 14. The Bible says this, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine as the father knoweth me even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, we, we know each other. We're tight. I know the Father and the Father knows me. In John chapter 10, a little later in verse 25, it says, 
uh, there, Jesus answered, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my father's name that bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. You know what Jesus is saying? When I'm your advocate, we cannot lose. Can't lose. No guy, no person, no entity is going to pluck you out of my father's hand or out of my hand. And so we have a wonderful opportunity to retain the son of the ultimate judge of our life. You know, sometimes we may want to know, depending on how bad your legal case is, whether somebody will take a difficult case. Lawyers are a little egoistic. Uh, Some, not me, but some are. And, uh, And they like to win. You know, I never cared too much, but you know, I, th- I'm kidding. But yeah, that's not a very good advertisement for me as a lawyer. But anyway, the, the, but lawyers like to win. And so you know what lawyers don't like to do sometimes is take the unwinnable case. They don't like to take the unwinnable case. Why? Because it's a loss. They don't want to lose. And so they want to know whether or not a case is winnable or not. Now, this is the difficulty sometimes. And we talk to people about this. I know all of us have at some point. Have you ever heard somebody say, but look, you don't know my life. You, you just don't know how bad it's been. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know how bad my life has gotten. And, and you don't know the things that I've done. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm thankful for that. I don't know the things that you've done. I'm probably thankful for that. We can just all be honest with each other. But you know what's great about God and what, what's great about Jesus is our advocate? He doesn't care. Doesn't care. He doesn't care how difficult the case is. He doesn't care how much sin has been in your life. He doesn't care how low it has gotten. He just doesn't care because he loves you, because he gave himself for you, and because he ever lives to make intercession for you. And so what we've got with Jesus is one that will take a difficult case. Over in John chapter eight and in verse number one, John chapter eight and in verse number one, the Bible says this, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had said her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They said this, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. You know, that's a difficult case. I mean, we've got somebody who's accused of committing a sin, and the Bible says that, she, that this lady was taken in the very act. And so they take this lady in the very act of committing the sin, they set him before the Savior, and they say, Moses' law says she should be stoned, so what are you going to say, Christ? Let's see how you get out of that one. So Jesus, we all know this story, But the Bible says that Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said it to him. And these are the type of lawyer questions I wish I could ask sometimes. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. You know what? Jesus didn't deny the sin in this lady's life. Never did. Instead, what Jesus did was do what any good advocate would do. He said, okay, you want to accuse this lady apply the same standard to yourself. If you have not committed a sin, stoner. 
And you know the rest of the story. They all filed out ashamed because they all had sin. They all needed Jesus. And so Jesus takes these impossible kind of cases and he defends them anyway. And let me tell you something, I need someone who will take an impossible case. And I'm betting there may be some of you who need a difficult, somebody will take a difficult case too. And Christ will do that for us. Now, there's one thing that I've never seen a lawyer do. I've represented a lot of people in my life. And most of my cases were civil, which means that at the end of the day, there was gonna be a judgment and somebody was gonna owe some money. You know what I never did? I never did this. I never went to my client and I said, look, no matter what happens here, don't worry about it. I'll pay whatever it is that comes down. I'll take the judgment. I've never done that. Never even crossed my mind to do that. I've never seen that, especially in a criminal trial where somebody said, okay, look, you're, you're looking at five to 10 years in life. I'm your criminal defense lawyer. If I can't get you off of these charges, I'll go to jail for you. I've never seen that happen. And you know what's coming next. What I've really never seen happen is somebody's on death row and a lawyer say, look, if we lose this case and you're condemned to death, I'll die for you. Nobody's ever done that. But Jesus is a special kind of advocate because even though he could be like an ordinary lawyer and say, look, it's you. I'll do the best job I can, but you're on your own after that. That's not what Christ does. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53, we read these verses a lot, but I just wanna spend some time reading them with you tonight. I hope you'll read them with me because in the context of this sermon, and when we're thinking about Christ as our advocate, and we're thinking about this, these ought to hit us like a ton of bricks. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number four, the Bible says, surely, He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Have you ever, have you ever done something in your life and you saw somebody else suffer for it? You ever had that happen? That's, that's a bad feeling. I don't know if you've seen, had that happen before, but I have. And, and it's really, depending on how bad it is, it can be gut-wrenching. Now, folks, 
when we picture our Savior on the cross and we picture him nailed to that cross and we picture the blood flowing down and we picture the cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In some way, I'm not saying in every way, and I'm not saying you're personally the only one responsible, but in some way we are all responsible for that. And the Bible says he gladly took that so he could pay our debt, which is what makes him such a great advocate. In Galatians chapter three and in verse number 13, Galatians chapter three and in verse number 13, the Bible says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ became our curse. There's another verse in 1 Peter that talks about him taking punishment for us. You know, the other thing that's great about Christ as our advocate, and this is something that's unfortunate about lawyers, is that you have to pay them. And I don't know if you've hired a lawyer lately, but lawyers typically are not the cheapest thing in the world to hire. They get to be expensive. And so I recommend if you ever need to go get an advocate, and I hope none of you do, but if you ever have to go get a lawyer, you should probably ask them how much it's going to cost or for a budget or some estimate of how much it's gonna cost because if not, you may be taken for a ride. You know, one of the things about Christ that's great is that he is our advocate, but it's free. He doesn't charge us for this. Over in um, Romans chapter three and in verse number 21, Romans chapter three and in verse number 21, the Bible says this, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He liberally gives us that salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter two and in verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and in verse number 12, the Bible says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. So God will freely offer us this advocacy. Now tonight, you've got a choice to make as we kind of bring this lesson to a close. You can retain Jesus as your advocate. That's a good decision for all the reasons we've talked about tonight. But you have another option, and I want to be clear that you've got another option tonight. You can choose to defend yourself. Now, I will tell you that there have been times where I've walked into a courtroom and the other side was defended by themselves. That's usually not a very fair fight because somebody's trying to defend themselves doesn't know how to be a lawyer. It's not their fault. They just didn't have the legal training. And I don't know, 9,999 times out of 10,000, you know who's going to win? The lawyer. But just like in our court system, you can elect to defend yourself if you would like to. Again, it's not something that I would recommend. In John chapter 15 and verse number five, John chapter 15 and in verse number five, the Bible says this, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Listen, for without me, ye can do nothing. Now, whenever he says without me, ye can do nothing, I am going to guess that that includes doing nothing on the day of judgment to defend ourselves. If you wanna try and self-justify yourself on the day of judgment, you are welcome to it, but it won't end well. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. In 2 Corinthians chapter three and in verse number five, 2 Corinthians chapter three and in verse number five, the Bible there says, now that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We depend on God. 
whenever it comes to sufficiency. We are not able to do this by ourselves. I wanna skip over Zechariah chapter three and go to 1 John chapter one and in verse number six. 1 John chapter one and in verse number six, the Bible says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the son, cleanses us from all sin. Now you are, like I said, welcome to defend yourself. You're welcome to reject Christ and then go to God and say, I am worthy to be saved. And you can try and lie your way and say, I know Christ or the blood of Christ should cover me or I'm worthy of your pardon or I'm worthy of your mercy. You know what the first John one says? We are a liar if we try and do that. If we try and say, I, I have no sin or I'm right with you or I have fellowship with Jesus and we're not walking with him, he knows the difference. I don't recommend you trying to defend yourself. That will not end well. And we need to retain the true advocate, which is Christ. So do you want to retain Jesus as your counsel? And just to sum up here, we've talked about you have a serious spiritual problem. We all do, I do. If the accuser wins, the chances or the stakes could not be any higher because you will suffer eternal damnation like we talked about last night and some today. But Jesus offers to defend you and listen, he will plead your best case. He is uniquely qualified and experienced. He, is, he knows the judge. He takes difficult cases. If you lose, which you will not, he will take your punishment. He's already paid it. And he does it all for free. Now you find me a better deal than that on the day of judgment. You won't find it. In John chapter 17, and I'm sorry, I know I've gone a little longer than I wanted to tonight, but in John chapter 17, I wanna leave you with a picture of Christ being an advocate. We're gonna read John chapter 17. I want you to listen. This is the, this is the master's prayer before he leaves the earth when he's at the last of his ministry. And listen to what he says. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the man which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and they hast, thou, hast gave, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst sent me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I came to thee, Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with, thee in, with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved me. Love them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, which thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. How does that sound for a closing argument for your life? Does that sound any good to you? That is the father pouring out, or our master pouring out his heart to the father for us. Begging and pleading with the father that he would save us. Folks, we need him. Tonight, you can retain Jesus as your counsel, but you gotta follow him. You've gotta access his blood. You've gotta obey the gospel. That's how we have this relationship with Christ. Well, first thing we have to do is we have to believe over in John chapter three and in verse number 16, a verse that we read all the time. The Bible there says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him or ever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We've gotta believe in Jesus Christ. We've gotta be willing to repent. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number three, Jesus says, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We've got to be willing to not only believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we've got to be willing to take those sins that we've done and say, look, I'm going to try and do better. I repent of them. I want to live my life like more for you, God. I want to live my life consistent with your word. We have to be willing to confess his name before men. In Matthew chapter 10 and in verse number 32, sometimes we kind of skip over this, but listen to this. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32, the Bible says, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now listen, do you want, when Jesus is standing before the Father on the day of judgment and God says, do you know them? Are they one of yours? What do you want Christ to say? What the Bible says is if you and I will confess Jesus in this life, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna say, yep, Father, that's one of mine. He or she needs to be saved. They are covered by my blood. We need to abundantly pardon them. But if we deny Jesus, he's gonna deny us. Jesus is gonna say, I don't know this person. Not one of mine. And folks, that's terror like we talked about last night. Finally, we have to be baptized, Acts chapter two and in verse number 38, 
Mark chapter 16 and 16, we've read all these verses, but over in Acts chapter two and in verse number 38, the Bible simply says this. Now, when they, uh, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to be baptized for us to be able to finally get the remission of our sins. We need to go through these steps, believe, repent, own up to Christ and confess him and be willing to be baptized. If you will do those things tonight, you can have God as your, Jesus as your advocate. And you can have all the blessings we've talked about tonight. Now, just like last night, when I begged and implored those who were outside of the body of Christ because of the terror of the Lord to please respond. Tonight, folks, not only do you have the terror of the Lord, but you have a choice about whether you're gonna walk out of this building with that kind of savior, with that kind of advocate, or whether you're gonna try and go it alone because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't make that decision. Don't turn your back on the advocate that we have through Christ. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need the prayers for the church. Maybe you've grown apart. Maybe that relationship with your advocate has gotten stale. You need to be reinvigorated or there's difficulties that you need the assistance of the church with. We'd also love to pray for you. If there's one of either case, won't you please come forward while we stand and sing the song of invitation.